All right, Vic Lombardi here doing this prostate cancer thing. I'm here with my man, Chris Muser. What's up, Chris? How you doing? How Dick? you been, man? Good. You're looking very Coloradan right now. Thank you. The uh, Colorado is that what, is that what a typical Colorado shirt looks like? I would say it does. Well, this is uh, I'm going to a happy hour supporting the 14ers initiative. Oh, that's a 14ers you know, shirt right there. Uh, as you know, you know that's one <laughs> Alpine Mountaineering is one of my gigs. So you know I don't want to let my my troop down. I've known Chris uh, for quite some time, even before the uh, prostate cancer thing. Um, we met a long time ago, maybe a decade ago, uh, and I don't know how we were introduced to one another, uh, but you handled a lot of my kids' 529 college plans, right? Mm -hmm. And and we talked about your insurance. And yeah. This and yeah. Yeah. How did we meet? Well, the person who was working with you at the company handed, that I was Handed at, me over. Um, That's what it was. Yeah, the customer service. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, you were gracious enough to have me out to your house. That's and, right. That's right. So Chris and I have known each other for a while, and, you know, like anybody in you lose touch. You, I still kept track of you. I'm sure you kept track of me. We known each other. And then all of a sudden, uh, a few months ago, I get diagnosed. Uh, there's an article written up about it. Uh, then a few weeks later, I get a message from Chris Muser saying, hey, I just want you to know I went through this. And that shocked me. I mean, when you have it, you feel so special. You know, you know I got cancer. I got prostate cancer. Nobody else is going through what I go through. And then you quickly learn it is very prevalent. Very prevalent. So how did you find out I had it? Did you read about it? Or did, you, did you see it? I was out having beers with a buddy yeah. one night, and he was a buddy who kind of helped me through the initial stages of my trials and tribulations, as it were. And, um, you know, we're just talking, and he said, hey, did you hear about Vic Lombardi? I'm like, no. And I've known, I mean, I've watched you for 20 years. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm thinking the worst He's going to tell me something really bad. He's like, well, um, I heard he got uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer, and he is, uh, had a surgery, and he put a, some videos up on yeah. YouTube. And so I literally went home that night mm -hmm. and, and watched uh, your... The, the, the clips, the little the, personal the clips. clips. Yeah. And then you reached out to me shortly thereafter, and we had a nice conversation. And it's guys like Chris, and one of the reasons I'm doing this is because there are a lot of guys out there, uh, younger guys, who when they get caught with this, they don't know what questions to ask. They don't know what advice to seek. They don't know who to counsel or how to counsel. And that was the toughest part for me. Thank God for the uh, invention of Twitter because Twitter – you throw a subject matter out there, or you do anything, and you'll get feedback. Um, if you don't have Twitter, you got to have friends, you got to have associates, and you really helped me. You educated me a lot on this stuff. All right, let's go. Let's start with um, your case. How old are you now? Fifty-six. How old were you when you were diagnosed? Fifty-two. Fifty-two years of age. Um, yeah, pull up to the mic there, Chris, if you don't mind. Yeah, just get a little closer. <clears throat> Fifty-two years of age. How did? How were you diagnosed? How, how did you know? Did you have any symptoms? I had no idea I was sick, okay. um, and I think I may have mentioned this to you, um, <clears throat> but I'm, I've been an athlete my whole life. What kind of athlete? Everything. Okay. All, all team sports. Rodeo um, clown? <laughs> no. no rodeo clowning. No, no ice skating either. Okay. So, I mean, that dude, we just know. talked to a dude that skated across the I, state I of saw, Texas, inline skated. That's yeah. amazing. Amazing guy. But, um, and so I was enamored with um, American Ninja Warrior. Oh, now that's athlete. And I'm thinking, I think I want to be one of those old guys who gets on there and does okay. I mean, I'm not going to win yeah. the thing. Um, at and so the age I've, of 52, you're at the age, yeah. Wow. 
And I figured, you know, if I do this, I need to step my game up. Yeah. And so I hired a very uh, comprehensive nutritionist. Okay. And in our first meeting, I mean, she had me fill out this eight-page intake form. In the first meeting, she said, at the end of the meeting, she said, I think I've got an idea of where we're going with this. I think this is really going to help you, but I need just one more thing from you. I need your latest blood results. I looked at her. Her name was Jennifer. And I said, you know, like she had a third eye on her forehead. And I said, why? Why? Why do you need my... She goes, because that's what makes me different than other nutritionists and dietitians. I really need to know what your blood chemistry is. She's thorough. So I was a little put off, I guess, by this, because she didn't tell me beforehand that I was going to need... So I went... And, um, you know, I pouted, and I went and did it. And uh, three days later, my doctor um, literally wrote me an email and said, there's something something not right here with your PSA. And you heard through email. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, right. My, my family doctor. Sure. And, okay. um, and so I went through the next blood test. I had to have a confirmation blood test, which confirmed that my PSA wasn't elevated because I'm a bike rider or from sex or whatever. It was definitely some pathology in my body. And, um, uh, she said, you know, I really think you should go to a urologist. Yeah. When I heard that too, when I got the urologist, I was like, why again? Didn't you? Like, why? Um, what? What are they going to do? I, I, I've been in the medical, because okay, I was a so physical you know a therapist before. So I yeah. knew, and I'm like, this is, you know, she's, you know, my PSA is high sure. enough. It's going to be fine. I'm not, you know, nothing's wrong with me. So I go to the, the urologist, and he gives me the digital exam. Yeah. Um, and Had you gotten a digital exam prior to that? By my family doctor okay, for the last three gotten years. Okay, because you already But she didn't, she never. She never you know, felt she, she that never there was died. any issues? No. See, yeah. that's, that's why you have to have both the blood and the digital. Right. Correct? So how come you didn't have the blood test as soon as you turned 50, the PSA um, blood test? Well, that's the part of the story that I wasn't going to disclose to you. But I, when you're an athlete like this and yeah. when you're a sports guy, you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And you don't think you need it? That's a pain to yeah. go get my blood test. I'm not going to do sure. that. That's okay. I'll go, I'll go, you know, you know, I'll go get my physical and yeah. – but. Ah, uh, you know, my sure. blood is my blood is good. I mean, so it was it, it was it, my own stubborn. But not that it may have changed anything. I mean, you know, sometimes even if you get the blood test, the, the, then then you sit and wait, sit and wait. It may have resulted in the same thing, which was ultimately surgery. But anyway, let's let's move on. So you yeah. so you're told then go see urologist. You get the digital exam there, and then the biopsy soon to follow. Correct. Three weeks later on the okay. biopsy That's and. Fun. Yeah, I was actually really, I had been really sick. I had actually climbed Quandary Peak um, yeah. a few days before, and we climbed with a guy who had been in South America. Wow. Because I climbed with some, some pretty high-level climbers. When you say you climb, what, I mean, are you like uh, on we the hike. side of the mountain? Oh, no, okay. we, we, it's right. al- Alpine Mountain. Oh, so you're not yeah. free soldering. Like no, not Quandary. <laughs> there are parts of Quandary that you can right. do that, okay. but not in the winter. Right. Um, and this was, this was January, and so... Um, you know, I actually had been really sick and almost had to cancel the, the biopsy, but I went forward with it, and it ends up my doctor had finished the 14ers, which I was right on the precipice of doing myself. So that was a great connection that Good we had. Point. Yeah, anyway, so we get that. Did you and have that conversation during the biopsy? We did, chance? we did. Wow. And we ended up finishing, actually, I finished, um, and we'll get to this later, but I finished the 14ers um, a year after Tremendous. prostate. Yeah, well, yeah. you got it done. So I tell people this, Chris, that I thought the biopsy was more uncomfortable than the surgery, personally. I mean, the surgery, they, they give you the meds. The You're bi- out. Yeah, yeah. the biopsy is like, what is going on here? Yeah, it's pretty uncomfortable. Uh, we're not used to, 
you know, no. you're not used to that. No, but, not to that extreme. But what was more uncomfortable, I think, for me was um, was the call that he gave me. How the next how day. long after did you get that call? Um, a day. One day. Mm-hmm. So where were you? Because I, I was remember in, exactly I was where I was. Walking with my cell phone through my living room, and uh, um, it was it was my doctor, and uh-huh. he said, you know, I'm I'm sorry to tell you this, but we have some some not so great news for you. It looks like we found some cancer in there. And I collapsed on my living room floor. I, I literally yeah. collapsed. I had never collapsed before in my life from like anything. Fainted or just 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 collapsed from yeah. pure because it, it had been such an emotional roller coaster sure. up to that point. Yeah. And um, I picked the phone up and I said, "Are you sure?" I remember saying, "Are yeah. you sure?" And I'm on my knees on my living room floor. It's yeah. like, "Yeah, we're sure. We've we need to we need to mobilize and make a plan of action." And so I called my parents. Um, you know, I had been divorced a few years before, so I wasn't married at the time, mm-hmm. um, which, which made prostate cancer significantly more difficult, lonely. being sing- lonely and, yeah. and single yeah. and knowing the repercussions perhaps sure. of, you know, yeah. from the dating side and whatnot. But so I just mobilized some, some very good buddies, my parents, and we were literally in his office two hours later that meeting. fast? Yep. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. I had to wait two or three days, which were hell. Those two, three, two hours is pretty. I'm a strong negotiator. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so you got in there two hours yeah. later, and he gave you the plan. And what was the plan? What was his well, recommendation? He he gave me his plan. Yes, um, which was you know at your age, based on what we're seeing and with your Gleason score as it is. Which was seven three plus four, okay. and I was at. Um, I had T3 disease, which means that my cancer had perforated the capsule around mm-hmm. the prostate. As did mine. Which is not that's not good no. because that increases your chances of metastasis yes. dramatically. Yeah. Um, so he told me all that, and I had my stepmom, bless her heart, was taking notes, and because yeah. I was sort of just sitting there in a fog in yeah. the days. You're freaking out. Yeah, um, and so we left that meeting, and and we all went out and had a drink, and and just talked about okay, so this is the Western conventional medicine way of yeah. handling this. I know there's other ways that I need to be looking into and considering because I was already a little bit into functional medicine at the time, okay. which is very holistic, um, based, integrative, um, getting to the root cause of, of the medical problem versus the regular medical, sure. conventional medical system that really throws medicine at it, doesn't really look at the root cause, doesn't give a lot of support yeah. afterwards. I'm glad for the Western medicine paradigm because it saved my life it saved your life but at the same time i had to process in my mind okay can i heal myself i know i've heard people who you know who have done this yeah and so i went off on a research binge for the next month i didn't even schedule my surgery so you had not even gotten to the surgery point see i was a little different as soon as i knew i had it i wanted it out immediately i didn't even consider anything else i was like put me on a table and let's go you took more time you were more patient uh i was not i was like let's get it out yeah and i i followed um holistic medicine functional medicine for a while and so i knew that mind body healing is a very powerful probably even more powerful than any other healing at times for certain people and so i really felt like i had to kind of dig into that a little bit and get my teeth into that and and figure out and it, I was going to just let my intuition tell me if I was going to go that route or I was going to go 
um, the Western medicine route. All right, so what happens a month later? Um, uh, I just... I just came to the conclusion after uh, quite a bit of research that I wanted it out, yeah. like you did, and that there was not that guarantee that it would be out if I went into my own self-healing mode, including lifestyle, nutrition, mind-body healing, cold baths, you know, earthing, all the, yeah. all the things that people do to help heal themselves. Um, it just wasn't, the, the risk was too high for me. How did you find a surgeon? Um, I, it was at that same urology center okay. where my uh, diagnosing physician was. And was it robotic, I take it? Robotic. Yes. All right, so was there any other option for you? Did they suggest maybe we do this or that, or was it robotic all the way? Um, you know, one of the options discussed was um, radiation. First? First. Okay. And um, I declined that because I felt at that point I wanted it out, and radiation, there was still some gray area with radiation mm -hmm. and radiation also can cause some accessory damage to your body like the good old rectal bleeding yeah as uh, as i've heard and and you know numerous other i mean you're putting you're putting radiation into healthy tissue sure. as well as unhealthy tissue so that just wasn't it wasn't an option for me um and uh and so i went i went forward with the decision for the robotic uh, surgery march 24th 2016 surgery went well yeah, I mean, I as well as it, I think, could be, you know, could have gone. I mean, uh, the doctor came into my room the next day, and um, he said, you know, your pathology came back, and you, your lymph nodes are clear, your vas deferens is clear. We didn't see anything. What is vas deferens? Is it's, that margins? It's, it's the, the tubes between the, okay. yeah, right, so that's between good the male news. parts. Yeah, yeah that they, but they removed those okay. um, as part of the surgery. Sure. And so I was really excited about that. But the most exciting news that he gave me is he said he was able to spare my bilateral nerves. So one set of nerves. Um, or both of them. Both. Both you of them. You got both nerves. I only got one set of nerves. Yeah. So you got both nerves. Yeah. You are two, you are a two-nerve guy. I'm a one-nerve guy right yeah. now. That's a big difference. You'll find out so if you're going through this right now. The, the nerve sparing is key. Um, share with us that story you told me, because I, you know, like I said, I get, I love to get down and dirty here and speak the truth. Everybody's so afraid of the catheter, and I'll never forget the catheter. To me, was no big deal. I actually enjoyed walking around with a bag of urine. It's like I could pee whenever I want to. Did you give yours a name and a face? Like no, but I, like I carried I... it with pride. In fact, my my kids would be so my kids are so ashamed because I'd like walk around the block with my bag of urine, and they're like. Can you put that somewhere? Can, I'm like, no, I'm, I don't care if people see this. It's yeah. not my fault that I have cancer. Here's my bag of urine, and I'm walking around the block. Damn right. It. So anyway, yeah. uh, the catheter was never a big deal for me. And my <clears> anticipation <throat> for getting the catheter removed, because my brother had another incident where he needed a catheter, and he said, oh, my God, wait till they, they get that thing out. You're going to die. I'm like, oh, the anxiety. So I'm going into that office thinking this is going to be the worst pain in the world, the catheter removal. I sit there. The nurse says, okay. And I go, are you ready? She goes, no, I got it out already. I go, what? It was like that. It was that fast. And yeah. it was like no pain, nothing. But I do remember the sensation as soon as catheter was removed. I just wanted to pee all the time. Your story took it a step further. Please share yours. I guess this is a podcast. This is, yes. We can <laughs> say know, whatever we every, want. Everything's, every, everything's, everything's in play. Everything's on this table, Chris. Everything's in play here. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the catheter is is a necessary evil that we have to go through when we've had this surgery because they, they put it in to repair the urethra 
um, and to you know let the system just relax and come down from a very traumatic surgery. And so that's really one of the major reasons why they do sure. it. Um, but um, as you know, um, there's some some consequences. I mean, you get some undue shrinkage and, sure. and things happen. You know, you're just, your system's under assault and, and mm-hmm. you know, it just doesn't know what's up or down. Um, but I managed the catheter well. Yeah. Um, and and the day that I was to get it out, um, I got an email saying that the PA, um, physician assistant um, at the urology center, was um, was going to have to miss my appointment, and would I be okay going with another, you know, PA? Sure. And I'm like, sure. I mean, I haven't met him, and they said, well, it's a it's a it's a she. <laughs> um, and okay. I said, I said, well, okay, up in the ante here. That's okay. okay. My, I mean, my, she's my, a medical my, professional. Mine is a she too. So she's a medical yeah. professional. I've been a medical professional. I've yeah. seen everything sure. as a physical therapist back yeah. in the day. So I'm. I just remember driving down Sixth Avenue, going, "Okay, God, just please, please don't make her like Farrah Fawcett or anything. You know, if if you don't make her that, I will get down at your your feet and and worship you like no one else has ever worshipped oh, you." And uh, you know, I get in there and I'm. It's an anxiety riveting time. Yeah. I mean, it's like I had heard they had given instructions: bring your pads. Bring your loose-fitting pants, and it was warm that day, so I brought shorts. Um, you know, make sure you avoid your your, sure. your um, bladder before you actually go into the treatment room. And so I followed it to a T. Yeah, and I thought everything was great, and um, <laughs> and so the I'm I'm in there for an agonizing 15 minutes before I finally hear this knock on the door, and in walks the goddess of all time. <laughs> And I mean the goddess like of all Like Kate t- Upton is, is your PA. Is my PA. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. And uh, I would have got up and just left. I, <laughs> I would have said, I, I'm, I'm keeping the catheter another week. I'm I, good. <laughs> I just remember going, hi. <laughs> so she sits down, and she's very professional. She's wearing a white yeah. white coat. And, and I'm sitting on the side of the, the plinth, the, the yeah. bed. And she said, so it looks like you have your pads. You know, what questions? We had a nice, cordial conversation. Yeah. And um, she said, so are you ready to, ready to do this? And I said, well, I'm a, I have a little anxiety about it because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm nervous about the pain. And, yeah. and what's, you know, I'm just nervous, more sure. nervous about the pain because I've heard it hurts. She goes, yeah. that'll only hurt for like five seconds. You, okay. know, you know, it'll be out before you know so it. So she's going to yank that catheter and she's make gonna it, yank it pain-free. So I lay down. She's on my left side. She gets the gloves on, and she's fiddling around, and yeah. she does some things, and she goes, okay, so we got the balloon out of your catheter, kind of like you, yeah. Yeah. and I'm like, it's out? She goes, well, let me, the balloon is out yeah. of your catheter, the, or your bladder, the tube but is- the tube is still in there, so we still need to do that, so this is where we need to coordinate and be a yeah. team. She said, I'm going to count to three, I'm going to pull it out, I want you to sit up on the edge of the table. And um, anyone who's ever had the surgery understands that there's several different incisions that you don't move a whole lot when you, you know, when you're in the 10 day recovery period of the catheter, like you're just walking around. That's basically as much, you're not doing ab workouts. And um, so I'm like, gotcha, copy that. And um, she's like, okay. And, and, you know, you have the pad in, in your pants and, you know, the, Pants ready to go. They're down around your ankles. And it's just kind of an embarrassing situation. But we all go through it. And um, she goes, okay, one, 
two, three, let's do it. And she pulls it and it hurt like crazy. <laughs> and she's like, sit up, sit up. And I, rather than rolling to the side like I had been doing for, for 10 days, I sat straight up. And when I sat straight up, I realized, oh my God, those abdominal muscles haven't seen anything like, and I started to lay back down and tilt it to the side. And I just, I urinated all over, all over her, her shoulder. <laughs> and, and, like um, a newborn baby. And, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm literally saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As, as I'm doing it, she's like, sit up, sit up, sit up. And so I get sat up and I'm pulling my pants up and I'm peeing. There's literally pee all over her, the right side of her body. <laughs> And um, I told you I could write a comedy routine <laughs> that about is this. So good. And and um, so I get him up, and I I just said, I can't even remember her name. I said, I am so so sorry for this. And she said, Chris, let me tell you something. This wasn't my first rodeo, buddy. I've seen I've seen worse. And she said, I've got more I've got more medical smocks oh back my in my God. office. And that was, you know, <laughs> that was your catheter story. That was the beginning of of a great, a great recovery period oh, for me. You gotta have levity, and and the reason we share these stories is because we've all had moments like this. And mm -hmm. and if you don't have, if you can't smile or laugh, I mean, at the time you're so intense and so fearful and so anxious. But if you don't have those moments of levity, I'll give you my moment. I, I got my catheter removed, and two days later. I'm watching a comedy show on television with my my brothers and and my my son. It was Sebastian Maniscalco, oh. well-known comedian. Oh, so I'm sitting there Hilarious. and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna be laughing a lot. Is this so? Is this okay? Now, can I laugh? I had no idea. I was laughing so much, Chris, that the pee was <laughs> It was like it was explosive pee. Yeah. I mean, and I could not control it. And, and to the point where I could not laugh anymore because right. the laughing led to just more peeing. And those are the obstacles you overcome. Now I'd be able to control it. But back then, the first couple of days after you removed the catheter, yeah. you don't know if you're ever going to pee normally again. It's very humbling, isn't it? Oh. I mean, hu your humility is tested like never before. And you know, any, any guys who are going through prostate cancer who are watching this need to understand that, that we still take the process seriously. But... We do need to keep humor in in the mix, yes, because um, otherwise, you know, it can get the best of you. Yes. Okay, we go from humor to I don't want to get solemn, but for you specifically, <clears throat> prostate cancer surgery took on a different meaning. I um, fortunately already had my kids. I had three kids. You had at the time of surgery had not had kids yet, and I know that was always your dream, your goal. Yeah. Like like many, you wanted to have kids. How did you, how'd you get through that? How did you, how'd you come to terms with the fact that, or have you come to terms? No, I'm still, I'm still working through that. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I did. I did want to have kids and, yeah. you know, it didn't work out when I was married and, and, um, that marriage didn't work out. And so I, um, I still held out hope mm -hmm. and, uh, I still believe that, you know, I, I could be a great father mm -hmm. and I think people around me knew that. And so I was just waiting to meet the, you know, the right sure. girl. And, um, you know, it just, it never really materialized prior to, um, you know, prior to, prior to this, this, um, diagnosis. And as you know, once you have this, you're not, you're not making babies yeah, the, when you lose the, your prostate, the prostate makes the semen. And, and, yeah. um, so, 
you know, being the eternal optimist that right. I am, I just said, okay, I'm going to donate to bank a bank. I'm going to bank yeah. some um, just in case. And I'm 52 years old. I mean, so the window is already closing considerably. But you never know. I'm, I'm fit. I'm healthy, mm -hmm. you know, otherwise for my age. And so I banked um, the two weeks before, and it was a really surreal experience. I mean, just banking alone is, is kind of a weird Of course it is. Deal but that for, on top of knowing you're going to lose the ability to do yeah. that two weeks later. But I knew that it was my, you know, it was my, my saving grace, my, yeah. my opportunity to yeah. per perhaps have my own progeny and my own children. Sure. And um, so I, I went ahead and, and, and did that. And, and um, but it was interesting because I, um, I do some modeling and acting on the side and, and I was cast for a a documentary called Casting Jean Benet. Mm. And um, really, the, the documentary is more about not necessarily the crime, the Jean Benet Ramsey crime, but it's more about how it affected us as adults. And there were several actors hired to go through the process, and the audition process went over nine months. Mm. And in that nine months is when I was diagnosed. Wow. And so it was really interesting because in the movie, in Casting Jean Benet, I actually talk about this very thing about how, um, you know, I was really sad that I hadn't had kids. And sometimes your sadness and the way your mind and body work together um, will manifest illness in, in places that you're sad about. And in yeah. this case, the prostate is the center, the core of a man's masculinity, yeah. or the core of his fatherhood. And so literally that is in the, in the documentary. Um, so, I mean, how am I dealing with it? Um, I'm, I've accepted it. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of surrogate kids that are yeah. my friends and, you know, kids, and, you know, we have great relationships. Well, what about the banked semen? Can that still be that's used? Still, that's still there, and it still can be used. Um, I'm 56 now, and um, I'm, I'm thinking this will probably be my last year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm dating a wonderful woman, but she's, she's 50. Sure. And um, so I, I, you know, she's done having her, yeah. you know, her kids yeah. are in their early 20s. Um, so, um, it's, it's been a real emotional roller coaster. I've been to some pretty dark places. See, well, that. That, that, and, and I'm so glad you, you, you talk about it openly and it's, I think it's therapeutic for you and all of us because so many people who get this disease have already had kids because most of the people who get this disease are older and they've had kids, grandkids and guys like you, uh, it's a different deal. It's a different beast. So one of the reasons I didn't know what a prostate was is because the, the notion that's put out there, a prostate is, oh, that's that old guy's disease. The prostate's big. They can't yeah. pee. We forget that you exactly are right. The prostate is the core of male reproduction. You have to have it. It is there. That's what purpose it serves. Right. In addition to helping hold up the bladder and all that other yeah. stuff. But this is how we reproduce. And when you lose that, you lose a piece of your masculinity. And emotionally, that takes some time to heal. Yeah. It takes some time. I'm still healing over that. You know, it's just like, wow, you know, it's, you can joke about it, but it's, it's really a, a piece of being a man. Yeah. Well, as I was prepping for this interview, I'm not going to lie. I, I um, you know, I, 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 I'm a really emotional guy, yeah. which, which makes, okay. which makes me a great ambassador for prostate cancer because one of the reasons why prostate cancer is so far behind like breast cancer mm -hmm. when it comes to funding, education, research, promotion is because we as guys, we, we don't just, let our guard down. And, you know, transparency has to come to the forefront and it's a process yeah. because, 
you know, I just happen to be an emotional, pretty transparent guy by nature. Yeah. And so, As am I. Yeah. And so preparing for this, you know, I had to really psych myself up because, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel the emotion welling right now. Sure you do. And, yeah. um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it is at the core, it is at the core of your masculinity. And Okay. The beauty of Chris Muser here is that he took something that was a challenge, an obstacle in his life, and you turned it on its side and said, I'm going to make this my life. Um, you, you've been in different fields, different industries. You decided that with this prostate cancer, there's a certain degree of wellness one must possess, certain lifestyle one must live to attack it properly. So you've decided to make that your life. Please explain Sure. Well, um, you know, in my earlier careers, I was actually a physical therapist. Okay. I had a master's degree in that and practiced for 10 years. Got out of that, went into the financial advising and yep. investment management, did that for 15 years. And right around the time I was um, diagnosed, um, I, you know, when you get diagnosed with this disease or anyone for that matter who has cancer, it really has a tendency to get you off the fence and, and things. Yeah, you better act quickly. Things, yeah. things in life that are that yeah. you've been on the fence about. Sure. Um, and things that are not feeding your soul. And you know, even though Vic Lombardi was one of my side clients, you know, and whatnot, um, I I knew that there were pieces of that that line of work that weren't feeding my soul. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the transitions I made during this process is I had to leave a 15 year, very successful financial career because it just wasn't, yeah. it wasn't fully. I know where you're coming me. from. I know yeah. exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. And so, um, I, you know, went through a period of, you know, I did some modeling and acting some, you know, contract work for yeah. the, the, um, the financial company. Um, but it wasn't until, um, a last year, um, I sold my house of 23 years, another transition. I was downsizing, minimalizing, which is a great thing to do. Cancer will, 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 yeah. you know, material objects don't material mean objects. Really? They yeah. don't, yeah. they don't, um, relationships sure. is what it's all about. People. And, uh, so I, I just said, you know, I really need to figure out how I'm going to serve the world. And through the process of, I was already curious about functional medicine and, and, you know, I had, I had always taken care of myself really well with fitness and wellness and whatnot. And so I was always on the internet and I see this ad last May that said, become a functional medicine health coach. And I'm like, what's functional medicine? And mm -hmm. basically functional medicine is the antithesis, the opposite of Western conventional medicine it actually wants to get to the root cause of why there's so much chronic disease. So it doesn't happen. So it doesn't happen. So, so there's a prevention aspect to it, but there's, there's many components to it. But, but when you're a coach, when you're a health yeah. coach, you become a behavior change expert. Okay. And behavior change is really one of, probably if not the main reason, one of the main reasons why we have so much chronic disease in our stress? world. Well, stress is, is definitely a, a big part of it. But When you say behavior change. Behavior meaning... The things you're doing in your life, okay. The things you're 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 eating, that your lifestyle, yes. how you're sleeping, your stress, your mindfulness. Uh, you know, are you taking time for yourself? Are you playing? You know, it's a whole it's a whole conglomerate. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I took that genetic test just a few weeks after my my surgery, 
And the genetic test comes back and tells you, are you predisposed genetically to have certain cancers, certain genes, right? So I took this test and I got the results back. Oh, great news. You, you know, you are not, there's, there's nothing in your gene pool that says you're supposed to have prostate cancer. And you got it environmentally. And I sat there and I go, what does that mean? How, how did I get this environmentally? What, is it something I ate? Is it something I did? Nobody has an answer to that. Well, I'll give you the short answer to that um, because there is a genetic component to prostate cancer. My, my dad didn't have it. None of my yeah. uncles had no, it. Mine my didn't grandfathers either. didn't mine have didn't it. Either. But there's a thing called epigenetics, which means outside of genetics, outside of the person. And what epigenetics really is, is, is it's really talking about the environmental factors that come into play that create chronic disease in our life. And the statistics are alarming with epigenetics these days. 85% of chronic disease is related to epigenetics and only 15% to genetics. Wait, wait, give me an example of epigenetics, please. What does that mean? Um, let's just do um, exercise. Okay. Like um, exercise or lack thereof uh -huh. has been shown as a precursor for chronic disease. I, I exercised like a fiend right. before. So I'm going to scratch that off my list. And, you know, certainly that probably wasn't part of it. Yeah. Although there is something called chronic uh, cardiovascular exercise now with through functional medicine that we have to really be careful with our clients that they don't over-exercise. You've heard about the, the cyclists with testicular cancer? Yeah. That, that, that can induce... Absolutely. I mean, that, that always freaked me out, too. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, you're, right. you're working out, and yet the working out is causing cancer. Right. Okay. But, I mean, there's, there's 85,000 registered or 85,000 chemicals in the United States yeah. and only a handful of them are registered as safe. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of chemicals that we don't even know. I mean, it could be the soap, the deodorant, yeah. it could be the underarm deodorant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's so, so epigenetics really encompasses all of the environment, including what we intake into our body um, how we treat our minds, you know, through meditation, prayer, spirituality, whatever, um, exercise, stress management, um, sleep is a sleep is becoming one of the biggest factors. I, I, I totally agree with you on the sleep. Um, I've always been a very poor sleeper. Yeah, very poor, very you know, flip flopping in bed, getting up, you know, two three hours into it, and I've known my best sleep, believe it or not, was after I had surgery, and. I was comfortable, and yeah. I would just sleep nine hours. It was right. weird. Yeah. Um, but I want to get back to something you just mentioned there about the chemicals. The one thing I stopped doing, Chris, as soon as I was diagnosed, I stopped coloring my hair. And and I read about all the chemicals that go into hair color and all that stuff, and I'm au natural now. This is, you know, this is me. I'm, I'm more like you now. I and mean, you're handsome. I know au natural. I, I, I know I am, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> But 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 the point is the point is I always had that notion that oh I gotta call you know I gotta look young yeah I can't be messing around you know, it's got to be brown it's got I, the moment I let my hair go then I'm gonna be an old elderly man I am so comfortable with my hair now I'm so comfortable with everything I, I don't care it's like I don't you know this is who I am I it's yeah. funny it's it's opened up a new world but it's things like that I'm not gonna say that hair color caused my cancer but it's just another chemical that why know. do I need that. Yeah. Why do I need that? And the statistic is really what we have to come back to. 85% of chronic disease is caused epigenetically, okay. outside of your, your own genetics. So that is part of what was really interesting to me about functional medicine is functional medicine, we can't do anything about 
your genetics, my mm -hmm. genetics. But when you're in medicine and you can make a difference in people's lives by, you know, lifestyle, um, ancestral diet, education, um, behavior change, exercise. I mean, this is really a stunning statistic, but only 6% of the American population engages in the top five health behaviors that help, um, uh, that help fight off chronic disease, get enough exercise, maintaining a normal BMI, drinking minimal or none, not smoking, and getting enough sleep. Yeah. The CDC, as of a, just a few years ago, only 6% of Americans. 6%? 6% of Americans. So you're putting yourself in that target zone. I mean, if uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that um, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I got into this. Yeah. Because not only am I passionate to help, you know, people who have been through cancer, but I've always lived a health and wellness lifestyle sure. my whole life. Even when I was playing baseball when I was three years old. You were always healthy. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. And and you were always athletic. And, and you had, I would never imagine you having cancer. Just like I would never imagine me having cancer. People said the same thing to me. Yeah. God, you worked out all the time, really. But yeah. it's beyond that. And, and you're, you're hitting some of the reasons why. So I've always heard about this, and I want to know the answer. And I want to know if it's diet. Why is it that folks in Asia have many fewer cases of prostate cancer than we do in the Western civilization? Mm -hmm. Why? Well, their, their general diet is, is a little bit, it's more Mediterranean. Yes. It's more um, vegetables. And I'm not going to throw fruits in there because fruits are... You know, depending on the fruit, yeah. um, can can be derog. You know, can be sure they can. Um, you know, not great either. Um, but they eat a, a much well. It's interesting. They they eat a much lower fat diet when on the vegetable side, but they eat a lot of fat when it comes to their proteins, their fishes. They they eat a lot of fish. Yeah. Um, they still eat red meats, but in general, it's a cultural thing mm -hmm. where they eat more of a Mediterranean. Type diet. And, and, and studies show, listen, the percentages prove they're less likely, the men, to get prostate cancer. Now, right. they may be more apt to get other forms of disease, but when, I'm talking specifically prostate cancer here. This right. is a prostate cancer podcast. Yeah. That Mediterranean diet is helpful to the cause. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that, I said, well, I'm going, I'm going Mediterranean, baby. I'm, now, what, here's what I did. And, you know, we've talked, we've discussed, and I know there's different levels of getting it done. I immediately went high vegetables. I started eating every vegetable known to man, the kind that I would never even touch. I'd like, um, bring it on. Vegetables, salads. Um, I, red meat's not even part of my diet anymore. I haven't had red meat since I was diagnosed. Sugar is not part of my diet anymore. I don't eat cake, cookies, ice cream. I haven't had a Coke, a, a Pepsi. I haven't had anything with sugar in it, not one iota. I'll have fruit, but I'll limit my fruit. I won't go crazy. I used to be a fruit fanatic. I won't go crazy like I did before. Um, and what it's done, it's, it's lowered my BMI. Um, I'm about 10 to 12 pounds lighter, and I've never felt better. And, and, and that's where I go back to what I told you earlier, Chris. Having cancer is the worst day of my life, and it opened the door to some of the best days of my life. And there's an example. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, nothing can humble you more than you know, being told that, that you have a potentially fatal disease yeah. and here's, here's your options. Um, but, um, you know, I was very transparent about it. I was very out there when I was first diagnosed. Like I, I remember, 
I remember this day in the, in the yoga studio and I'm just drying off after a yoga class and all these guys are coming in for the next class. And there was, most of the guys in there were, you know, about our age. Sure. And I just stopped. I'm literally standing there naked in the yoga locker room. I'm like, guys, can I have your attention here? (laughs) Um, I know you're getting ready for class. Please keep going. But I really, I'm moved. Like, I feel like I have to tell you this, that if you haven't had your... um, you know, you're screening for prostate yeah. cancer lately. And I don't care if you're under 50. This is no longer an over 50 thing. You need to do this. And I'm like, you know, I'm like this. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, one of the guys goes outside and says, there's a naked guy in the locker room asking him. Proselytizing. Him. <laughs> is he going to try to sell, give me a book? Or but something? it's crazy. You're right. Because I do that. You know, I'm sure my brothers, my friends, my cousins are so sick of me pushing this issue. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, they're like, okay, we get it. But you become inspired yeah to help when you get hit it's so crazy how that works you're yeah well you mentioned like you know i wear this every single day it says gratitude on it you mentioned sort of the idea that best you know best day of your life worst day of your life type thing and you know you know gratitude is 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 incredibly important um not only to start your day with just when you're a healthy person who hasn't been through what we've been through, but just looking at the things in life that are are really are really important, you know, can and we know what that is. Can you please, for me, because you're obviously an expert in this field, in nutrition and wellness, I meet so many guys who have gone through this prostate deal, and some of them, it's not done. Some of them, it, it's spread or it's spreading. And, 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 I, and I say to them, you have to give yourself a chance. You can't eat the way you did. You have to exercise. You have to. Now, we have a built-in advantage because we exercised before. And so we know. And we, li- and we like and we it. Like we it. Like, yeah. But for those who have never really exercised and now suddenly have mm-hmm. to, have to learn how to go on a jog or get on a bike, I'm not saying this. I'm not trying to proselytize being fit. I'm saying you have to give your body a chance. What, what recommendations would you give to guys who are out of surgery like we are, don't want to see this thing ever come back? How do yeah. you live your life? That's a tough question because it gets, you know, one of the answers to that is it really comes back to human behavior change. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's the real issue and why I got into functional medicine health coaching is because um, I really recognize that in order for someone to really see a sustainable change in their life, they have to be self-motivated. Mm-hmm. And how, how do they become self-motivated? Well, a lot of people don't know what that means, yeah. have never heard of that before. Um, so our job is really to help facilitate and empower and encourage Change people the mind through first. a process yeah. to help them really recognize their their own motivation for why they would want to change. Because if we just tell them you have to take care of your body or you have to eat this or that, we're telling them something and no one likes to be told that. That's why Western medicine is... is yeah. Is a failure, but that whole notion doesn't even resonate with me. I mean, it's like, how can you not motivate yourself to stay alive? Well, listen, when I did my, I got into a support group, which we talked yeah. about um, soon after, and uh, this is this is was really a stunning thing for me. But yeah. not only was there processed food that they brought in at the support group, at the support group that the urology yeah. center was sponsoring. And a physician was actually in there wearing his white jacket. But there were three guys that consistently went out and smoked uh, on, yeah, on break. I'm and out. so 
you know, I mean, there's, it's a real, it's a challenge to, to work with people, but they're going to have to want to work. They're going to have to want to do it Mm -hmm. and make the change. And then my job is really to help facilitate that change. And, you know, working with prostate cancer survivors, people who have been diagnosed with prostate cancer will be part of the clientele that I I work with. Um, In fact, I was at the Paleo FX conference this weekend in Austin, Texas, and I met this amazing woman whose son went through cancer. And that event inspired her, inspired her to start a an organization called Thriving with Cancer, where she's taking functional medicine and she's providing a sort of a boutique of things for practitioners like me to to learn and mm-hmm. to collaborate with her about including nutrition, aromatherapy, sleep therapy, exercise therapy, all the all the big players. Mm-hmm. You know, all the things that you and I yeah. sort of know kind of, you know, just because we've lived that way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people you know, when this disease hits them, they've been living a really unsavory lifestyle. And so they really, really need that kind of assistance. Um, so if somebody hires Chris Muser, what, what are your services? You coach them up from A to B. Yeah. A to Z in this case. But I don't give advice right out of the chute. I just let someone talk. I okay. let someone talk, and we start to get to the to – the, understanding of of what they really want what what's their health story we all have a health story what is your health story and what's your wellness vision and how much do you want to grab reach out and grab that vision and i'm here to help you with that process if you want to go through that and that's why someone hires me i still have all the arrows in the quiver i know a huge amount about all sorts of diet and nutrition all sorts of exercise i mean exercise was my life for 20 years and from a professional standpoint, including the physical therapy. But now there's a whole bunch of other things. There's supplementation, there's sleep, there's um, environmental changes that you can make in your house. There's mindfulness and meditation. It's, it's, a, it's a big world of, of um, advice that, that we offer. Um, but at first, we just have to let someone get to the point where they're, they're willing to see their own motivation. Because uh, if they don't, then the statistically speaking, they, they will never be able to sustain that okay, change. Okay, so you're going to help people. You're going to shepherd people along the way, basically, to make sure they get... Absolutely. Um, you know, I tried, by the way, I tried that. Oh, this is my daughter, Alexis. Let's, let's get her on the show. She's yeah. FaceTiming me real quick. Oh, wait, I missed it. But anyway, it's ironic that she's calling. She is the one that tried to get me into meditation because she meditates every day. And, and so I tried it, and, and I've always wanted to, to do it. I just can't do it. I just, Chris, I fall asleep mm-hmm. or I, I, my mind wanders or I, I just, I, I can't discipline myself to properly meditate. Like she can get into it, man. And, and she's done and she feels so free and open. I just can't get there. So I'm, I'm trying. I just want you to know I'm trying. Yeah. There are other things that I'm doing right now that I never thought I'd do. I was that guy who a year ago, if you said, you come to me, eat at my mom's house. I'm eating fresh cheese like it's out of style. I'm eating this. I'm eating spaghetti. And I was always the guy like, I can eat whatever I want because I work out. So screw off. You don't tell me what I can and cannot eat. Look at me. And I, I was that guy out. too. Exactly. And little did I know it took a lesson like this to understand it's the exact opposite. What goes in is more important than what you do climbing a hill. 
Yeah. What goes in is everything. And, you know, honestly, one of the first things we learn early on in a functional medicine program like I've been through is that there's no one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to... No, everybody's custom, right? You know, someone's health story because everyone's biology they're at the cellular level is different. Their biology is different. Their life leading up to that is different. The, the, the emotional aspect of their life can be very different. If you get 100 people in a room, it could be very different. Yeah. And so our job is to sort of be a health detective, I guess, yeah. and, and to, you know, like the meditation. I, I By the way, I've I struggle with meditation mm-hmm. too. That's one of my that's one of my biggies. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm taking myself through the whole habit change, reversal, new formation, loop. I mean, there's a whole yeah. loop using positive psychology and that type of thing. Um, but, you know, I mean, we have to take each individual and there's a mil- I mean, if information was the answer to the chronic health, you know, epidemic that we have in this country, then people would just go to a Google search and we, we wouldn't need we wouldn't need anything. Everyone yeah. would just have it. But the problem is that six percent number I gave you of those five, you know, health, you know, behaviors that that people that people do to help keep chronic disease away. Only six percent. I well, mean, that's that's astounding to we, me. We're gonna have to tape another pod with Chris to get into more details about the uh, the wellness and the nutrition because we can go on and on on this. But if you're in the Denver area. And you want his help, uh, Chris Muser, M-U-E-S-E-R, correct? Right. Uh, what are they, how they Google you? How they um, you? Well, uh, you put on the graphic. All right. So yeah, yeah, and I'm just starting on the the sort of developing my practice. Sure. Um, I did name it. It's called Orenda. Orenda Health and Wellness okay. Coaching. Um, the word Orenda is an Iroquoian word that means um, it's a um, it's a force inside each of us that enables us to. Um, and track change within ourselves, therefore attracting change within the world. All right, last question. You're going to happy hour now. You're a prostate cancer survivor. You mm-hmm. had surgery how many months ago? Well, it was March of, uh, of 2016. M- March so of 2016. So 39 months okay. ago. You're going to happy hour. Are mm-hmm. you going to drink? Um, I'm not because I'm doing intermittent fasting right now, and my fasting window ends at uh, by, at 6 o'clock. When's the last time you ate? Um well, I, I ate. My eating window was was nine to six today, okay. but I'm intermittent fa- intermittently fasting. So because we went late, I'm costing you drink time. That's okay. I'm used to it. I and just, by the way, intermittent fasting will change your life. Really? All right. Well, we're gonna have to get into more detail yeah. on that, please, because yeah. you know I'm into that stuff. You, yeah. So if you did have a drink, what kind of drink would you have? Would you? Let um, it? Well, I mean, there's less sugar in vodka, gin, and tequila. That's what I'm, um, That's what I'm trying to get the information. Yeah. There's right less now. sugar in vodka, okay. gin, and Tequila, but there's also okay statistics with whiskey. Beer has has a lot of carbs I'm in it. Has a lot of sugar. Yeah. You know it. You know. So yeah. we're trying to keep the glucose what levels. About red wine. A um, lot of generally a lot of sugar yeah. um, metabolizes from red wine yeah. and, and wine in general. That sucks because I love red. But wine. But there are some healthier wines, yeah. and I can certainly yeah. you know give those to you. Well, but. my friend, listen, uh, we got to do this again. Because I'm sure the feedback will come uh, fast and furious. But uh, not only is he a prostate cancer uh, analyst and expert, he's a prostate cancer client, ladies and gentlemen. Because he and I went through the same thing. He obviously knows a lot more about the wellness aspect. Chris Muser, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Vic. Appreciate it.